Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. In the next episode of BCC Global Network Insights, we sit down with the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei to find out how businesses are coping during COVID-19. We're joined by Stephen Parker, CEO of Britcham Taipei, together with Tom Manning, Deputy General Manager at Seawin Taiwan, and Carl Blunden at Aderco Recruitment, as they share more about the market in Taiwan, sustainability, renewable energy, and top tips for businesses setting up in Taipei. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Parker, CEO of the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei, together with Tom Manning, Deputy General Manager at Seawind Taiwan, who's also head of the Chamber's Renewable Energy Committee, and the Vice Chair of the Chamber, Carl Blunden, Outsourcing Director for Aderco in Taiwan as well. A warm welcome to all three of you. Thank you for your time today. Just turning to you, Stephen, first, very warm welcome. You've been CEO in the Chamber for about five years, I think now, but you've also lived in and worked in China, in Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Indonesia, Australia, and the UK. What was it brought that brought you to Taiwan in the first place? I think the question for me is not actually what brought me to Taiwan. It's kind of what made me stay. Because, uh, you know, we're all, uh, I guess the, the four of us who are chatting here, we're kind of career expats. We've been to a number of different places. We've lived in a lot of different locations around the world. Originally, Taiwan was a, was a destination on the way to going somewhere else for me. But I came here in 2000 and uh, just seeing all the kind of changes, developments that were happening in Taiwan, I basically just fell in love with the place. Sometimes, as many of us who are kind of these professional expats, you travel, you live in a few different places, but ultimately you find somewhere that just for whatever reason kind of just speaks to you and makes you think, well, I, I just want to be here. I like it. I've met great people, I'm doing something that's really interesting, and I've been lucky enough over the 20-something years that I've been here to have never been short of something interesting to do. So I, I guess it's what brought me here was just a job, <laughs> but uh, what kept me here was just uh, falling in love with the place. Where, where do you sort of see some of the opportunities for your members and for those that might be listening from a UK business perspective that might be looking at Asia-Pacific as a region? What, what are sort of the advantages of, of looking at Taipei as a market? Well, I think the market in Taipei is, is, is a very interesting one. I think Carl will also be able to speak to this a little bit later on. And I think Tom, especially with the renewable stuff, a lot of new, vibrant industry happening in Taiwan. Um, but the, the thing I think about Taiwan is that... Uh, if you look at the economics of Taiwan, it's, it's ranked, I think, number 21, 22 in the world economically. But in terms of the ease of doing business, it's always up around 13, 11, um, 12 over the last few years. And this is the, the World Bank surveys that they do every year. So it's just one of those places that it's maybe not on the forefront of everybody's, you know, it's not like when you come to Asia, people think obviously of Singapore. And I'm saying that because you're on the call, David, but uh, they do. They think of Singapore, they think of places like Hong Kong, they think Shanghai, they think Beijing. Um, if they're thinking North Asia, they might think Japan um, and now Korea increasingly. But, uh, and I don't want to leave out any other places that are important, but Taiwan is not always, you know, the first place that people think about when they're coming out to Asia. But when they do come here and when they, take some time to kind of like, uh, you know, do a bit of a dive into the market here. They realize that you've got an incredibly well-educated population. You know, I mean, I, I, 
every time I walk into an office in Taiwan, I think almost everybody has a master's degree, um, high levels of uh, skills, very strong levels of English, um, even when you compare it to the region. Um, and it's just, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, there's a lot of uh, people have money, they have resources. Um, there's a lot of cash available. So, I mean, you know, if people are setting up businesses here, there's, there are opportunities to invest. If people want to set up retail here, um, brands from the UK, Taiwanese love international brands and they've got the resources to, to, to buy them. So, you know, from a, a simple kind of overall economic perspective and skills perspective, Taiwan is just a great place to do business. Everybody who comes here basically says that, you know, the greatest resource is the people. And uh, I think that's, that's probably true. People come here and they just enjoy being here. They feel welcome. They're made to feel welcome. Um, and then on top of that, it's a, it's a good place to do business. How do companies find out about it? What's, what's, what are the key sort of motivations to sort of explore the market? So I think the way that they find out about the market is we've got an exceptional team here who does a lot of work promoting Taiwan. Um, we do a lot of work in this area. We've got a great board. We've got great committee members. And the people that are on the British Chamber board, the people on the British Chamber staff, our business development people, you know, as I said, our board, our committee members, the, the companies that are working here are, are really the best salespeople for the place because they go back or they talk to the people in their home locations and talk about what a great place Taiwan is to do, is to, to do business. But I, I think for us, when I talk about, when I talk with other people around the region, you know, and people talk about um, a lot of stuff like, uh, you know, where do your leads come from, this kind of stuff. Because we do a lot of work for the, as, as you do, David, in uh, Singapore, we do work for the Department of International Trade. We do trade development. And people ask, where do your leads come from? And I, I think probably for us, it's more about going out and finding those leads rather than having kind of a, a pipeline of leads that are automatically coming into Taiwan. We go out, we tell people about Taiwan, tell them what a great place it is. And if they, I mean, it's obviously a little bit difficult at the moment, but if they come here for a visit, they meet some distributors or they meet some uh, potential business partners, they realize that, yep, it's a great place to do business and they're going to have some success here. Excellent stuff. I know we, we, we've had sort of various conversations. I know you're incredibly passionate about uh, women in business and diversity inclusion as a chamber, but also there's a lot of activity that's happening in your chamber around renewable energy, around sustainability, around social enterprise. And are these things that you've really been driving this agenda? And are those sort of, the really core topics that, that get your members engaged? So I think this kind of comes back to what's important to members, right? I mean, as a membership organization, we're driven by the passions and the needs, the requirements of our members. Our, uh, you know, we've got on this call, we've got uh, the vice chairman, Carl Blunden. We've got the co-chair of our renewables committee, Tom Manning. Um, and these are people that are very, very passionate about the things that you've just talked about. Um, and we have another 13 board members and supervisors. We have heads of committees, um, but also the companies, you know, the big companies that are involved in the chamber. It's important to them that we provide them with forum for expressing diversity, um, learning about diversity, sharing best practices. And it's the same for all the other things that we do for the, you know, they're very supportive of social enterprise, very supportive of young professional development. And I think these are things that are just clearly very important to business now. Now, are they good? Are they worth doing? Absolutely. And that's the beauty of all of this is that they're, they're not only important to business and very important for businesses to be seen, to be supporting these, but they're also really good things to do. So I, I kind of, uh, I mean, I've worked in business for a long time, but I've had a, I guess, a, a slightly more NGO path. Let's put it that way. I've worked in nonprofit and I've been on the 
board of the British Chamber prior to being the CEO for about, I guess, 10 years. And I've seen that evolution of kind of, you know, going from a social organization of maybe 15 years ago to one that's passionate and committed and does a lot of work in, as you said, charity, social enterprise, diversity, um, but also championing the interests of our members. You know, our members have great programs in these areas as well, and we are also promoting what they do as well as I think maybe Carl will probably talk a little bit about this later on, um, but also championing the, the, the kind of the regulatory and uh, you know, advocacy needs of our members as well through government. That's really excellent to hear. And I think it's also, it's also encouraging for the British Business Network as well in the UK, knowing that there's these forums around the world that can support businesses. Thanks, Stephen. We're, we're also delighted to have Tom Manning, Deputy General Manager at SeaWind Taiwan, and also the head of the Renewable Energy Committee at the Chamber in Taiwan as well. So um, a very warm welcome to you, Tom. You've been working more than 40 wind farms across the UK and Europe, and in Taiwan, you've partnered with the International Ocean Vessel Technical Consultants on a project. Can you tell us a little bit more about what SeaWind does and the joint venture in Taiwan and how that, how that came about? Well, thanks uh, very much for having me, David. First of all, it's a pleasure to uh, to join the podcast. I, I think actually, Seawind Taiwan have helped push Seawind above fifty wind farms now because we've um, we're now engaged in over eight separate wind farm projects in in Taiwan, which is um, which is a great testament to our early growth as a as a joint venture. But it, indeed, it's it's great to be able to lean on the experience both of our British shareholder, uh, who I think are, are coming up on a decade of supporting offshore wind industry in the UK, but also our, our, our local partner, IAV Tech. We, we started discussing with them years ago about just providing a, a vessel. And, and at the time, I wasn't based in, in Taiwan. I don't think anybody in Seawind in the UK really kn knew that, that Taiwan was ever going to be a market for them, a little bit like you and Steve were just discussing. And the expectation was we were selling a boat to a company on the other side of the world. We never hear from them again. Uh, and a couple of years later, when I was actually in Shanghai working for a different of the group. The, the market driven by the, the government here in, in Taiwan started to, to really gain some, some definition, some positive movement. And, and thanks to the, the government's approach and, the, and their, their policy, attracted a lot of interest. And, and we, we re-engaged with, with IV Tech at that point to start discussing the joint venture. And they're, they're a great partner for us. You know, they, they're young, they're, they're ambitious, they're, they're really hungry to, to learn from us as the more experienced partner of uh, when it comes to offshore wind, but they they lend us an awful lot of value in terms of local knowledge, capability, contacts. So we're we're just past our, our two year anniversary as a joint venture in Taiwan, and, and so far it's it's gone from strength to strength. Excellent stuff. We also have a, a very active energy and utilities committee. It's obviously a, a key theme. COP26 was supposed to have been run in the UK at the end of this year and COVID sort of crashed the plants for that a little bit. But can you tell us a little bit more about what the committee's doing and especially around sort of that, that energy piece and the renewable energy piece? Can you just talk a little bit about what the market looks like and the appetite in, in Taiwan? Yeah, I, I was just listening to the interview with Tim Rockwell the other day. It was really inspiring, actually, prior to, to joining this and, and knowing that we're very early in, in the days of our Renewable Energy Committee as to how you can really create a vibrant business community around the common ambitions that sit within a, a British Chamber Committee. Um, so a great aspiration for us in, in Taiwan. I mean, unfortunately, we, we've had a bit of a false start. We were formed in, in January just as things were starting to a lot more difficult to do. So we've had a number of formal meetings so far. And the idea is that the the committee kind of brings the UK supply chain together and allow us to share lessons learned, face challenges together, and, and hopefully look at collaboration efforts in, in improving the, 
general ecosystem of, uh, of supply chain here in Taiwan. And I think that's, that's really where UK's value comes from in renewable energy. You know, it's, it's the biggest market globally for offshore wind, but it's not for the reason that it's dominated by the kind of titans of industry. You know, there are a couple of big developers and vessel owners, but um, it's, not, it's not led as, as Denmark is, for example, by a, a handful of, of key companies. It's about uh, an innovative and collaborative supply chain. And Seawind have always played a part in that, developing the latest hybrid CTVs earlier this year was, was a, an example of that industry coming together to look at decarbonizing the, the sector. And I think that approach of, of a number of small, innovative, collaborative companies can really allow Taiwan to develop a position in APAC, which is similar to the UK, which is a, a very open market, an ambitious market. The government is, is aiming for, for 20% renewables by the middle of this decade. The end of their current term, that five and a half gigawatts of offshore wind that will contribute to that twenty percent should be built, and and the following ten gigawatts should should be a, a firm project pipeline rather than today's aspiration. And the hope, I think, from our point of view, is see in Taiwan, but more from the Renewable Energy Committee, is that we can play our part as UK businesses in establishing the same vibrant supply chain and local industry that, that the UK benefits from in, in making sure that growth is is organic and, and also leaves a, a, a legacy in, in Taiwan. Once the, the wind farms are up and running, there is a, a very capable and safe supply chain in Taiwan that can maintain them for, for years to come. It, it provides, hopefully, Taiwan with, uh, with a number of export products. That, that, that's really interesting. And you know, Steve, Stephen mentioned about a, a very highly educated workforce in, in, in Taiwan. Are, are you starting to see talent come through in the local market that can support the overall supply chain for businesses that are coming over to provide new energy solutions for, for the region? Yeah, I think that the workforce in, in Taiwan, as, as Stephen mentioned, is, is extremely well educated. They've also got a great work ethic, very, very driven. Um, and we see that in, in renewable energy, especially it's, it's very much seen as a, you know, the, the, the new industry for, for Taiwan. And it's, uh, it's, it's an area where I think people are very enthusiastic about building a career in, which is fantastic for us as a potential employer of them. One of our businesses at Sea Wind Taiwan is in providing offshore safety training that allows people to work offshore in these wind farms. And we've seen a, a huge interest in, in putting people through our training school down in Taichung. It's, it's been full since it was built middle of last year. I think the, the marketplace in, in terms of workforce remains very competitive. I mean, Carl will be able to talk a lot more to this than, than, than I can, but, but certainly I think there are there are competing industries that do make it at times difficult to convince people that a transition into what can be, if you're going offshore, a, a, quite a, a challenging uh, job. There are some challenges to attracting people into the sector. And one of the things I would like to do as uh, the co-chair of the committee is, is bring in influence from the UK as to how they've kind of retrained workforces into the sector, how they've created attractive career paths, graduate schemes to bring people into offshore wind, both on and offshore, and see how we can use those experts in the UK through the committee to drive some exciting developments for, for Taiwan. Tom was talking about the education of uh, the population here, and I just wanted to kind of throw something in because one of, one of the great things about Taiwan is that we talk about a very well-educated population uh, and a very large percentage of them have actually been educated in the UK. You know, and it's, uh, I mean, we're not, traditionally, I think we were a very American-facing uh, market, but the fastest growing constituent of 
overseas students is actually uh, students going to the UK. Now, obviously, this year is a is a tough year for that. But I mean, you know, with the UK opening up visa requirements again from and a visa office is going to be opening up in Taiwan again, I think on June the 1st. So next week, there are plans again for students from Taiwan to be able to get to the UK. And but what we find is that the students who've been to the UK are incredibly loyal. You know, they go to the UK, they come back with a very passionate love for the UK. And I think this drives a lot of what we talked about before, where, you know, people come to the, you know, you meet people and you meet local Taiwanese who've studied somewhere in the UK at a university and they remember it very, very fondly and have these great, uh, you know, this great love for the UK. And that really helps the kind of the building of this business and building of the relationships and building of the the kind of a pipeline of people that uh, Tom has mentioned and that Carl may well allude to later on. I think that's really bad. I think that, that, that shares a lot of similarities with Singapore, right? So there's definitely some areas in terms of two chambers sharing best practice, support that narrative around great British education would be, would be really keen going forward. So no, really, really important. We'll, we'll come back to COVID in a bit, uh, I, I think, because I, I think it'll be quite interesting just to see how, as a chamber and, and Tom, how you've sort of been dealing with that. But I think we'll come back to that question. I'm quite keen to sort of bring Carl in, if that's okay. And we can pick up that sort of education piece, especially around sort of recruitment bit. When did you, when did you arrive in Taiwan and, and what's, what's the market looking like at the, at, at the moment? Have you faced sort of many challenges around COVID? And, and how does that education piece that Stephen and Tom have talked about sort of play into to your business? Also, thank you for the invite today. I'm also, like Steve, uh, a veteran of, of Taiwan. I've been here three times for a total of, of about uh, 14 years. You'll notice that I don't have the, uh, the British accent. So thank you for letting me on the podcast uh, despite that. First time I came was directly out of university. You know, I just wanted to try somewhere completely new. Had a friend who was already here. And I figured when you're moving halfway across the world, one friend is, is better than no friends. So I came here, uh, much like Steve. Uh, really enjoyed myself. Have been back to Canada a couple times. Lived in Hong Kong as well, but have always have always felt uh, a little bit of a pull to to come back when I've been living in other places. Eventually met my wife here, who's Taiwanese. She grew up in the U.S., but we're we're both very happy here. So I think uh, for an expat, Taiwan is a great place to to live. With respect to the to the market and what Tom and Steve just touched on. For us, I mean, obviously, uh, the COVID situation has, has made things challenging this year. In Taiwan, ADECO, we have three major business lines. So we have permanent recruitment, um, headhunting. We have staffing business, which is contractors, both long-term and short-term. And we, both, and we also have outsourcing, which is basically managed services. Permanent recruitment and staffing have been, have been hit fairly hard. You know, when you look at, at industries like retail, obviously the impact is quite large. There, there's not a lot of demand for, for short-term temporary workforce at the moment. Permanent recruitment, just simply because we work with mostly multinationals here and hiring freezes are, are basically on a, on a global scale. So that no matter what the situation is locally, um, will be affected by those as well. Outsourcing is more a long-term business. So we are, our impact in outsourcing has been the least of the three. The market, I think, when we, when we do come out of this, will continue to grow um, as it has been. It's been evolving quite quickly. When people think about Taiwan, they often think about uh, traditional industries, manufacturing. I remember the, the first time I came to Taiwan and I told my grandmother, who was about uh, 86, 87 at the time that I was coming to Taiwan, and she, she replied with, uh, that's where her, her shoes were made. So <laughs> for her, um, it was definitely a, a place that was manufacturer fo- manufacturing focus. That's been changing. 
for us at the moment in Taiwan, tech is is definitely the biggest source of demand that we have, specifically software developers. This is this is a profile that we always have trouble. Uh, there's not enough supply to meet the demand. So this is an area where Taiwan's looking outside to other places, whether it be um, India, whether it be looking to to Canada, the UK, the US to try and bring in the the talent that's needed. Um, so there is definitely a large demand there. As Tom mentioned, wind is is definitely the strongest emerging market in Taiwan. And again, there there is an education piece that comes along with that because traditionally in Taiwan, people are very focused on the the sense of security that comes with uh, a full time position and a long term career. So when you have when you have a new industry, you know there is an education piece that has to go along with that to let people know that this is a long term viable career option and that it's not just a short term, you know, kind of three to five year boom. And then where they'll be left behind eventually, this is an industry that is perfect, perfectly suited for young people to build a long and sustainable career. So I think as, as that education has been happening, the kind of willingness for, for younger Taiwanese to jump into positions, especially non-office based positions has been growing, but, but there's definitely still work to be done there. I think it's great having all three of you on the call because straight away you can sort of see, you know, you from a, a recruitment perspective and looking at the emerging markets and the businesses and the types of skills that they're starting to recruit. And as you sit on the board of the chamber and Stephen's shaping the direction in terms of where the chamber's going and, and, and Tom's actually working in that market and is using this, there, there must be a really nice gel between the three of you in terms of driving this as a really important agenda going forwards. I'll, I'll jump in on that one if you don't mind, Steve. Just because Steve is, is he has many talents, but complimenting or or taking credit for his own work is not one of them. So I'll do that for him. I think the 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 progress that the chamber has made since since Steve came in as CEO has been extremely impressive. Traditionally, the British Chamber in Taiwan, we were especially compared to the American Chamber and the European Chamber, we were we were the the kid the kid brother or the, the smaller sibling when we were comparing ourselves to those. But over the past five years, we've had a, a much stronger focus on recruitment, which has allowed us to double in size over the past five years. And obviously, with more members comes more ability to have a greater impact, whether it's on the business community, whether it's on government lobbying, or whether it's on the charitable side of the chamber, that is also very important to the three of us. Great stuff. So I, I guess sort of turning, turning to, and I guess bringing sort of all three into the, into the conversation as well, you're, you're, you're all sort of, we're all going through the COVID situation at the moment, right? Um, there's obviously lots of projects that are on hold, lots of challenges that businesses are facing, but it feels like with the, the sort of light at the end of the tunnel, we're sort of, sort of seeing that. I guess, sort of, Cole, just, just to you first, you know, you'll, you'll start to almost see some of those trigger points, right, where people are starting to recruit and put people into businesses. Are you starting to see that now? Is it starting to ease up? How, how do you think sort of the markets is going to start opening up in, in Taiwan? Uh, we definitely, as of May, we're definitely seeing a gradual pickup in business. Q2 has definitely, definitely been challenging um, for the economy as a whole, not only for, for our business. But I think demand will come back relatively quickly simply because Taiwan has done a fantastic, a fantastic job in avoiding a, a total lockdown situation. So actually, one discussion we always have with our, our regional heads is that they tend to underestimate the impact that coronavirus situation has had on Taiwan simply because we have been able to avoid a full lockdown. But that impact definitely has still been there and it has been, it has been uh, substantial. 
business is coming back, I think you'll see it coming back um, first through retail and also through domestic travel. This retail and, and, and travel industries have been the, the most hardest hit industries in Taiwan. So the government has just announced that they're going to come out with, uh, as a part of a, an ongoing 60 billion NT dollar, which is 2 billion US stimulus plan, that they're going to come out with a plan where every person can purchase 3,000 NT worth of, of coupons for 1,000 NT that then can be used, whether it's within travels, taxis, um, in, a, in a long list of businesses to try and, and quickly speed up that spending. Uh, the government's also been uh, heavily promoting local domestic tourism, um, because I think it's been seven to eight weeks now since we've had a, a, a domestic case of coronavirus. So restrictions next week are being lifted. Baseball stadiums will be allowed to fill to capacity. So hopefully this is, is a sign that things are, gonna, are going to turn around quite quickly. Oh, that's great. Tom, Tom can I ask you the same question? You know, how, how's your business been coping through the situation? There must be lots of challenges. Certainly, I know, I know we, we've been sort of seeing some challenges with sort of getting people to and from vessels, for example, on something from an offshore perspective. Are you, are you seeing the same things? Are you seeing, seeing things start to open up? Yeah, we, we've, we've shared that, that issue that you've just mentioned, David, particularly with um, you know, most of the wind farms in, in Taiwan, although there is a growing uh, flotilla of, of Taiwan flank vessels that are, are engaged with it, including our own there. The majority of the larger installation vessels are coming from mainly from Europe or, or Southeast Asia to do the work. Uh, and there's some, some big issues for, for those companies um, to, to navigate the, the restrictions that Taiwan have put in place for, for entry into the country. There's, there's an operational impact to all of that. We've, we felt it as, a, as an individual company in terms of uh, shipping equipment uh, from, from, from Europe, for example. Um, we've had to postpone or, or cancel some initiatives that we had planned because of the, the difficulties bringing personnel into the country. But, but at the same time, that's kind of created alternative ways of delivering those initiatives. So we've got a lot of remote learning happening this year for our, our team in Taiwan, rather than sending them to the UK for on-the-job training as we have been doing. But, but actually, I think comparatively, the offshore wind sector in Taiwan has done reasonably well. Projects are delayed a, a month or two this, this summer, but I, I was on a call that was organized by, by Natalie Black, a Majesty's Trade Commissioner a week or so ago, specifically looking at the COVID impact on renewable energy in, in Asia and how that was creating some, some problems for British businesses. But actually, it was a very positive call. Most, most of those on the line were, were saying, you know, we're not seeing any any short-term impact or mid-term impact from the, the situation. And I think that the offshore industry traditionally is a very health and safety focused uh, industry. So there's a, a precautionary approach taken by most companies here, but I think helped by the fact that the Taiwanese government has been so organized in, in implementing the quarantine process and being very clear about how the, 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 the procedures have to have to be followed. It's a, it's a small operational management task rather than that rather than a big impact for offshore wind. But I know, as Carl mentioned, some of the other sectors here in Taiwan have really suffered. That's great insight. And also, also good to know those conversations that are UK-wide are happening through the situation as well. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Tom. Steve, I mean, how, how, how are the rest of your members dealing with COVID at the moment? Are you seeing some, some key trends? Carl was talking about some of the government initiatives that are coming in to support that sort of economic recovery again and, and sort of put spending and money back into the economy and get things going again. So what are, what are your members thinking and, and, and how is the Chamber positioning itself to support members going forwards? 
like you, what we've done is we've tried to be an information resource. Um, so basically from day one, we just, you know, we rejigged our website. We made sure we had kind of the latest information about travel advisories, the latest information about COVID-19. We've done a couple of regional stuff. And I guess one of the side benefits of this whole kind of COVID-19 situation is that the chambers themselves have actually become much more regional, you know, stuff like we're doing today. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic. And we've done some COVID-19 kind of information sharing uh, webinars between ourselves, Japan, Korea. Um, we've done some stuff with uh, Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong. We've done some uh, other stuff with, you know, Singapore and some other chambers as well. So, I mean, it's been sort of weird kind of side benefits of COVID-19. It's forced us to kind of work together in a way that we haven't necessarily done before. Our members, I mean, really, this is kind of like, it feels like this is the end of a, of a period because basically from June 1st, as I said, the, the, the visa office is opening up again from Taiwan. Um, so people are going to be able to apply for visas, not that they need visas to travel to the UK, but like for longer term visas for uh, students and uh, workers, that office is opening up again. Um, the government is talking about opening up again. Uh, I think it's uh, June 6th. You know, so it's, it's almost getting back to business as usual, but we're going to be dealing with a bit of an aftermath, I guess, of uh, a number of months where many of our members haven't been able to really run their core business in the same way. Carl mentioned in particular hotels, and I think it's been a really tough time for hotels, you know, all around the world. If people can't travel, um, you know, it, it's just, it's a nightmare. And, you know, the hotels have done what they can, but I think with the opening up of the local market and, uh, you know, people use hotels for food and beverage, they use hotels for weddings and receptions, all these kinds of things. So I think there's going to be a, it's a definitely a very positive kind of change for uh, the hotel industry. Retail has suffered, obviously. Carl mentioned that as well. But we've seen over the last few weeks that people are going back to the shops, they're going back, they're starting to buy things. And I think it also highlights differences in, in economies as well, because I think in Asia, we, uh, we definitely, we do things like we save money. You know, <laughs> people actually have savings. They put things away. They have, uh, you know, so even when there were difficulties in the retail sector, I think the population still had the wherewithal to go out and purchase kind of the necessary items. And it's not necessarily the case in other parts of the world. So I think it highlights some differences in the way that people live. But one of the other, I guess, positive things that we've seen kind of come through this whole period is, is a very positive outlook from the UK in developing their export networks. Tom mentioned the chat with Natalie Black, and I think Natalie Black has done a lot of initiatives. She's pushing this kind of all around the region and trying to bring the region, not only the chambers together, but also the Department of International Trade, government, etc. And there's a sort of a, a unified approach to how Asia can be presenting itself. But what we've noticed on a, on a very, very simple front, as I mentioned at the beginning, that, that Taiwan is not necessarily the first market that people think of. But uh, our inquiries, direct inquiries in the UK, which were probably between one and two a month, if I'm being really honest, um, have gone up to maybe two or three every week. So we are getting UK exporters that are wanting to come to Taiwan. They've seen Taiwan as a place that's safe. Um, they've seen Taiwan as a place that's obviously organized and has managed to come up with a unified response to the COVID-19 situation. Has done, done a pretty good job in, uh, in doing that. And I think that's filtered through, through the news and other things. Um, and with a lot of kind of, you know, UK companies thinking, okay, where's my market going to be now? Can I export to, I, I don't want to use the Brexit word, but you know, there's that, that's coming up as well. We, we forget about that with this whole kind of COVID-19 thing going on. 
right? So, you know, with the changes that are, going to be, that are happening in the UK, UK exporters are seeing, I think they're seeing Taiwan as a very positive location to, to try and build a business. We're 23 million people. It's not huge, but, you know, it's the same size as Australia where I grew up. Um, you know, it's a market and it's a, and it's a good one. And it's, uh, as I said, people have savings and, uh, and they're willing to buy. So, you know, I think one of the things that's come out of this is that people, the UK is looking at Taiwan as a, as a destination now to sell their wares or to build their businesses. Thank you. That's a really, that's a really positive message. And it's a, it's a privilege to talk to all, all three of you. It, it really is, you know, and to have your experience of working in the ground, you know, on the ground in Taiwan is, is, is great and great for, our, great for our podcast listeners as well. I guess, so the final question, so linking to that trade piece for, for all three of you is, if you've got sort of two or three top tips for businesses that are exploring the market, what, what would they be? Could you just share um, something that you feel is, is really important for those that might not be so aware of, of, of Taiwan as a, as a market to export to or, or, or set up a business in? Yeah, I'll start and that'll let the other two have a think about what they want to say. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not going to steal yours. I, I think one of the things that I if, if there's a difference between being export ready for a place like Taiwan or perhaps anywhere else in the world, between export ready and not export ready, where I see people fail is where they, and this has happened with a number of uh, large companies from the UK who've come out to Taiwan and they've failed because let's take a product, I don't want to mention names here, but if you, if you have a product that sells well in the UK, it doesn't mean that that same product in the same packaging in the same way is going to sell in Taiwan. There are different tastes. People have different ways they look at things. There are, you know, there's a Japanese influence here. There's Korean influence here. In clothing, people perhaps uh, prefer a more kind of, uh, you know, colorful style or whatever it is. There's, you know, you've got to look at the local market and try to think, what does this local market want? And be adaptable with the product that you've got to fit with that market. That's kind of one of the things I see. If I, if I see people fail, it's because they try to replicate only what they've been doing in the UK um, and just kind of dump it on, on another location. But you've got to think about whether your product is something that that location wants. It's not about, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I think people, you know, they were dumping products overseas often, you know, the, the great American kind of exports of the <laughs> 80s and 90s, where it was just getting rid of product to other locations at cheap prices and stuff like that. But that's not Asia now. Asia now is a very sophisticated market with its individual markets. And each of those markets has its own taste, its own desires, its own kind of uh, flavor that it prefers. So, you know, be open, understand and work with your market and make changes if you need to make changes to, to your product. Thanks, Tim. That's, that's really interesting. And it, again, comes back to that support mechanism that the chambers can add to vicious businesses that are looking at different markets as well, I think is a, is a really key theme for this as well. So I think that's really interesting. Tom, um, what about you? Have you got, what, what advice would, would you have for our listeners? So, so Seawinds Taiwan and, and our parent company, Global Marine Group, are, a, are very much a, a service-led engineering company. So we've, we've been operating globally for, for a number of years, but what we always try to try to achieve is, is having a, a proper local footprint because most of what we do, particularly with, with the Seawind batch of services, you know, offshore logistics, technicians, fixing things when they break, basically, we need to be responsive and we need to have a local capability. And, and I think COVID has, has been highlighted the fact that it's, it's hard to work in a place like Taiwan if you take a global headquarters centric approach. So, so as a group, as a corporation, we've, we've got a number of joint ventures throughout Asia that, that date back. I think it's the longest one is just, it's this year, it's their 25th anniversary. And we've got a history of partnering with 
hopefully what turned out to be the right local partners to help us navigate those early days into a new market. I think from speaking from that perspective, my suggestion for other companies that operate in a similar space to us would be to really do the investigation at the, the front of the, uh, the kind of business development you do to move into Taiwan, for, particularly for offshore wind when there's so many new regulatory hurdles being um, discovered on a day-to-day basis because it's new to new to Taiwan and they're, they're trying to, to play catch up in a, in a very ambitious time frame. It's really important to kind of have somebody that can help guide you through those kind of pitfalls. And that's, that's, that's I think, probably the, the number one ingredient to making us successful was having that local partner that we could then use our, uh, our experience of establishing Asian joint ventures and the understanding that part of the trade in that is, is a degree of, of knowledge sharing in order to upskill your local workforce to, for the greater benefit of your, of your business. I, I think they're the two elements that really have, have made what we've done in Taiwan to date so successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. Carl, just, just finally to you, have you, got, have you got any advice for businesses that are looking at the market? Yeah, I mean, Steve touched on businesses that are look brands that are looking to sell into Taiwan. For me, my advice, I think, would be more for, for companies who are looking to actually, like Tom said, set up a footprint and, and set up shop in Taiwan. And I think the, the advice that I, I would give would be to, to not underestimate the quality of talent available in the local market, especially young talent. We get a lot of clients who are, who are coming in who are unsure about just that, the quality of the, of the local talent. And for me, having been here as long as I, I have, I can say that the, the quality is extremely high and it's only getting stronger. As a part of our CSR program at ADECO, we, we run a program called CEO for One Month where we, we have over a thousand young people apply to, to spend a month with, with our local CEO here. And we just had the, the boot camp where we invited the top 20 of those thousand to, to come actually this year was the first time we've had to have it online for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, the quality of the talent when, whether it's language, whether it's, you know, their, their motivation, their level of experience, a lot of them just coming out of university have already had international experience. They've studied abroad. They've taken internships abroad. They have much more of a, of a global mindset than, than Taiwan, Taiwanese talent often gets credit for. So uh, my advice would be to, to limit the reliance on, on bringing in expats and to, to look at Taiwanese talent as a, as a viable option. I think those are three brilliant answers, aren't they? You know, really, really think about the, you know, there's, there's great talent in the country. Look at your partnerships and do your research and make sure your products and your services are applicable to the local market. I think it's, it's great advice. Thank you so much to, to all three of you. It's been a real privilege and a pleasure to talk to you um, and great to get the insights in, in terms of what it's like to do business and operate and, and, and work in Taiwan. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot, David. Really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britcham.org.sg or should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at info at britcham.org.sg.